I love being in church. <laughs> when it's a good church. We'll be in John chapter 13 today. John chapter 13 as we continue our series through the gospel according to John. Last week we covered the Lord washing the disciples' feet. We saw Christ, God the Son, God in the flesh, humble himself and perform the lowliest act of service. Remember as it was building tension in our scriptures, Christ rose from the table, he laid aside his seamless robe, took a towel, girded that towel upon him, and with that towel he washed all the filth that was upon their feet. And because that towel was upon Christ, it pictures the Lord Jesus Christ taking our sin upon himself. We couldn't save ourselves. We can't cleanse ourselves spiritually, but it takes Jesus Christ, our Lord, to clean, to clean us. And Christ, in going to the cross in our place, He laid aside His perfect, perfect sinless majesty. And then He who knew no sin took our sins upon Himself and nailed them to His cross. And the Bible says, in our sin and iniquity, He will remember no more. Remember that Peter told Jesus, Thou shalt never wash my feet. But Jesus told him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. To which Jesus replied, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And the spiritual application means that once we've been saved, we're saved. We stay saved. We're always saved. All Jesus needed them to understand was the sin that they've committed after salvation, that filth, it gets on our feet, if you will, and it has to be cleansed in order for us to sit at the Lord's table and partake with Him. To have fellowship with the Lord, we have to confess our sins. We must have our feet cleaned. Now, let's pick up where we left off by reading verses 12 through 17 of John chapter 13. The Bible says, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his uh, garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. And just an interesting observation as we start today. Notice that Jesus performs this act of service to his disciples when it really made no sense in their minds. He doesn't take the time first to say, here's what I'm about to do, and here's what the application is going to be. This is what it's going to mean. He just starts doing this, and it kind of baffles their mind a little bit. Uh, remember at one point, Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew, Whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so they, they knew that Jesus was their master, that he was their Lord, and that he deserved honor. Yet Jesus lowers himself anyhow, and he washes their feet. And here's what I want you to just consider for just a moment. 
Sometimes Jesus does some things without ever explaining to you what he's up to. Aren't, aren't those fun times? And, and he might be doing a work that he started doing, and you're sitting there kind of baffled because it doesn't make sense. And yet he didn't give you the spiritual application. He didn't show you a slide reel of what it's going to look like 15 years down the road. He's just doing something, and he hasn't even bothered to tell you what it is. Jesus told them in verse 7, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And so he's performing this seemingly bizarre act of washing his disciples' feet while never explaining what he's up to. It's only after he washed their feet that he asked them, Know ye what I have done to you? And I just want to point out that if you'll walk with God long enough, and if you'll pursue God earnestly enough, there's going to be times and seasons when the Lord will be doing a work and you won't even really know what's going on. You won't understand it all at first. It may confound you while you're going through it, but we have to trust that God knows exactly what's going on, that He knows what's perfect for our life, He knows what's best, He knows how to mold us the best way. And we just need to know that we just need to stay in the Lord's presence as they did. And it'll make sense one day. It might be just very puzzling while you're going through it. But I'm sure many here could testify to not understanding what the Lord was up to in their life. But then there came a day when it all just made sense. You know, Lord, you could have just saved me a lot of heartache if you would have just told me that back yonder. God says, I don't want to tell you back then because I had to do a work in you to chisel, to take out, to put in, to make sure that you're being conformed into my image. And I don't want you thinking you're so big, you got to figure it out. Also notice that the Lord wants us to understand. He asked them, know ye what I have done to you? And he's going to go on to explain it here in verses 13 through 17. But there will come a time when God will explain it all to you. It'll be in his time, not ours. Sometimes it isn't until after the fact, and I would say many times, it's not until it's over with do we understand what God was doing all along. In verse 13, Jesus says, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. And I wonder if you can call Christ your Master and your Lord today. Does He have complete control of your life? Does He have all authority in your life? He wants to be your Master. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your King. But you have to submit yourself to Him. Amen. You do that, first of all, through salvation by faith in Him alone. And then after that, after you're saved, He'll always be your master, your Lord, your King, whether you like it or not. But there may be times when you're not in subjection to Him. Isn't that right? And you get out of fellowship with Him. I hope you can call Him your master and Lord today. Now, I want to get to the main emphasis beginning in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also 
ought to wash one another's feet. Now, don't worry, we're not going to do a foot washing. And, and honestly, I wouldn't frown upon any church that does that. But the command here is not that we must wash each other's feet. Some have made this a third ordinance of the church, putting it up there with baptism and the Lord's Supper. But they've misunderstood the scriptures in doing so. One of the problems with congregations that emphasize feet washing and that actual, the, the act of that service is that it really becomes the main thing. And so long as you wash feet, you're good to go despite all the other stuff you ought to be doing. Amen. I mean, there's a lot of other things we ought to be doing in humble service to our Lord and to each other. Some religions have actually taken, taken what was an example by our Lord of humble service and turned it into a prideful example of their humility. How many of you understand what I'm saying there? Well, let me show you how humble I am. There are times when it's permissible to view certain biblical acts culturally. For example, when Paul wrote, greet each other with a holy kiss, that was the culture. And it still is in a lot of places over there. But that's never been the culture in America. And so it's not telling us that we have to give each other a kiss when we come to church. Jeff, I don't need to feel your whiskers on my cheek. But I think we understand we are to greet one another kindly, right? Some things we view culturally, and I think that's okay in some cases. Uh, with feet washing, the culture of the day was to wear sandals. That's for me right there, flip-flops. I'm on board. But they wore sandals in an environment that was very dusty. And they knew back then that sandals with socks looked stu- stupid. <laughs> I just offended somebody. I know I did. But they would wear sandals and in a very dusty area. So naturally, one's feet would become very dirty after walking around. And it became necessary to wash your feet each night if you wanted to maintain clean linens, uh, cleanliness in your home, all that kind of thing. But today in our culture, we have the option to wear socks and shoes. We have running water. And it's much easier to maintain clean feet. Now, stinky feet's another issue. But honestly, what's the big deal in washing feet today if all we do is make it a part of a Sunday morning service when most of us come in here clean already? It would be a much bigger deal if you went to a teenager's football locker room after a practice and cleaned their feet. My point is, it would just become an act we performed to say we performed it with really no service involved. Most of us had a shower this morning. Most of us came in here clean. Most of us put on clean socks. So where's the dirt to clean? Is it really humbling ourselves to reaccomplish what we just did two hours ago? Do you see what I'm trying to say? 
for those who make this the, the issue of fellowship. So I don't see this as an emphasis on washing one another's feet, but it's an example to let us know that if the one who is above all mankind would humble himself to wash the disciples' feet, then what's our excuse for not serving our brothers and sisters in the most humble of ways? Look at verse 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. We are to be learners of Christ. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Peter said, Christ left us an example that we should follow his steps. John wrote in 1 John 2, 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. And if we truly want to be like Christ, then we must abase ourselves and serve one another in humility. Without expectation of return, without expectation of reward. Everybody with me? We don't serve someone so that they can owe us later. And we don't serve to be noticed. We are to serve because it's the right thing to do as children of God. None of us should ever view ourselves so high that there are some things which are just beneath us that we could never stoop that low to do it. Look at verse 16. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Jesus was sent by God the Father to humbly serve humanity in giving his life as a ransom for many. And being sent from God, he wouldn't dare try to usurp his Father's authority. And if God the Son could humble himself to the point of washing disciples' feet, then we who are sent by our Lord should never think ourselves too big to wash one another's feet or to serve one another in humility. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, no one in here is greater than Christ. And no one in here is Lord over another in this context. There are so many verses I could read to you on this subject, but we don't have time to do all that. I just want to give you a few. And, and Paul wrote the most extensively about just being a humble servant, just serving in humility. And really, he's the best one to do so because he was once a rising star in the ranks of the, of the Pharisees. And he had all the privilege. He knew what it was like to be somebody in the marketplace. He knew what it was like to be lifted up in the eyes of man. But there came a day when he met the Lord that he said, I now count all that but loss, that he might win Christ. And so what Paul did was he learned how to be abased and to be a servant. 
Paul wrote in Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In verse 10 of that same chapter, he wrote that we are to prefer one another. And then in verse 16, he wrote, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Galatians 6, 3, For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. And honestly, we could spend the rest of the service just reading verses like that and making comment. But let me give you what Christ said in Matthew 23, verses 8 through 12. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So how do you view yourself today? Are you just too good for certain things? Some of you came in here like uh, you're just too good for the church. Are certain things just beneath you? If there's something that you feel is too low for you, then you're not following Christ fully yet. Brother Brock, I remember one day we were here. This was years ago, and, and he's so old he won't remember this. Actually, he won't remember it because it happens all the time, and he does it all the time, and nobody knows he does it. But I remember being downstairs, and the toilet overflowed. That one kind of by the schoolroom, and it was rushing out into the schoolroom, and we were down there with a mop, and he said, I bet you never thought ministry would be this. Now, I didn't have the heart to tell him. That's how my dad raised me, but... Cleaning up somebody else's mess. You with me? That's the principle of our school. And it's not a one-time thing. There's a lot of times. I mean, are there just some things that are beneath you? I'll clean this up, but I ain't cleaning that up. Amen. How do you view yourself? Will you serve only if you are noticed? Well, I'll do that, but I've got to be up in front of people. Do you serve just so someone will praise you? Do you serve just so you can have one up on another? So that when the day comes, you can say, well, you know you owe me. I did that for you way back then. If so, you're not following Christ. You've not learned of Christ. Say amen. Someone has rightly said... There should be no job too lowly and no recompense too small. It doesn't matter how we are treated for serving. And we serve regardless of how we are perceived. We serve because we want to be like Christ. You ever met somebody who thought they were above you? Aren't they a pleasure to be around? Those who think they're doing you a service just to even glance your way. 
those who act like they have better things to do than to stoop to your level. No one likes to be snubbed by people like that. No one says, boy, I can't wait to make it big so that the day will come when I can be a jerk. I was listening to Paul Chapel preach, and I may not have all my facts straight, but he mentioned attending a celebrity golf tournament. And he wanted to get an autograph of Gerald Ford. And I think Gerald Ford was teamed up with, it was somebody like Jerry Rice. Don't quote me on the football player, but it was a Hall of Famer caliber football player. And there was a little kid there who wanted to get this Hall of Famer's autograph. And so he brought a football for this football player to sign. And and he's waiting around and he's trying to get this man's attention to sign his football. And he wouldn't even look at him. He wouldn't give him the time of the day. And he ended up walking away and never signed the boys' football. Well, Pastor Chapel went over there, and he got Gerald Ford's autograph. And the little kid thought, well, that's better than nothing. And so he takes the football up to Gerald Ford and asks for the president's autograph. And he signs the football. And then he looks at Pastor Chapel and says, who is that guy? <laughs> and, and here's my point, though. We don't look at people with respect who are snobs. Who think they are too good, too big to walk among us commoners. We think, what a rude person. We like to hear stories of people like Tim Tebow who will go to the prom of a special needs kid. You know what I'm saying? We like to hear those kind of stories. There was a caste system within the Roman Empire, and those in the lowest caste were called those without nobility or seen nobilis. Now, I can't verify this account, but a lot of people believe this is true. But every once in a while, there were those who were of seen nobilis, and they would try to act like something bigger than they were. And they had a name for those who weren't great, but acted like it. They shortened seen nobilis to S period N-O-B, or snob. A snob is a nobody who thinks they're a somebody. And we don't like prideful people who think they are something because we know that person is just another human being, and without Christ, they're nothing. But we like humble servants who are in touch with reality. We like people who view that we view as important who will take the time just to talk with us. You ever been around people like that? I didn't get a chance to talk to the man, but when you work at Ellsworth Air Force Base, where I worked in the weather shop, you're right there by base ops. Every time a president would come in, you get to go out and meet him. And I remember George Bush came in, and I went out there to shake his hand, and I was just so impressed that he would actually shake my hand and look me straight in the eye while he did it. Now, he didn't say, how you doing there, uh, Airman Brooks? But you understand what I'm saying? There's respect for people like that. And I remember hearing stories of when President Clinton would come and he'd be shaking your hand, looking down the road at who else he still had to shake hands to. And it didn't really impress the servicemen. But we like people who will take time to talk with us. Are you a servant or are you a snob? You'll find both ends of the spectrum within the pastoral world. There's some big-name preachers who will tell you they're big-name preachers. 
and they won't talk to pastors like me out here in little old Rapid City, South Dakota. And, and frankly, it gave me a phobia from ever contacting some of these guys and saying, hey, would you be willing to come out here and preach? It's my understanding that back there in the 80s, there were a couple men that came here, big-name preachers that you would recognize within the Baptist community, and they stayed here for just a little bit but left saying, it's not big enough for me. Is that true, sister? All right, that's verified from the pastor's wife. And it kind of put a phobia in my mind that these guys who think there's something back east really don't understand Western culture to begin with. And I'll guarantee you they've never pastored a day out here. But it put a phobia in my mind. I thought, man, I can't call these guys. They're just too big. I like preachers who who will remember where they came from, will take the time to talk and encourage the younger preachers, men like R.B. Willette, who pastored for over 40 years in one church. And if I understand it right, at one time, his church was the largest independent Baptist church in the state of Michigan. I heard this man preach, and, and I knew that I wanted him to come here, but I was hesitant to call him because he's a highly sought-after preacher, and I thought he'll never come here. He preaches at several major conferences during the year, and, and I just knew it was a losing battle. But I told Brother Furs about him, and I said, Hey, heard this guy preach. I really like him. Got a lot of respect for him. And I told Brother Furs the name. Brother Furs, oh, I know who that is. And Brother Furs knows everybody. He said, I, I know who that is. You ought to call him. He's really down to earth. So I called him. I had to leave a message, and I thought he's never going to call me back. I, I have so much faith, amen. <laughs> uh, he's not going to call me back. And, and I mean, guys like this are booked for years in advance. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you don't, but uh, these guys are, I'm talking three, four, five years out. But lo and behold, he did call me back. I said, hey, Brother First told me to call you. <laughs> and I was shocked at what he said. Oh, I know Brother First. Yeah, graduated from Fairhaven, went out to Wyoming. He preached the Rock of Ages. I mean, he just rattled that stuff off. And I thought, okay, that's good. He didn't say anything negative. I asked if he would consider coming for anniversary days in the future. And without hesitation, he said, absolutely. I gave him the dates for 2020, 2021, 2022, because I knew he'd be booked out for a while. And he said, I'll check my schedule. I'll get back with you. And I thought, okay, now he's not going to call me back. Again, I have absolutely no faith. But anyway, he, he did call back. And he said, man, I wish I could have been there earlier, but the earliest I can make it is November 2021. And so I'm happy to report, y'all may not even know who this is, but I am thrilled to death that R.B. Willett's going to be here in November of 2021, and you will be blessed. Great preacher. Those are men I respect. Those who remember what it was like when they were younger preachers. Those who are big-name preachers that say, I just want to be a help and an encouragement to other preachers. You understand what I'm trying to say? Um, Those who don't just run around in their own little circle of preacher buddies. I come from the southeast, and, and you can make a living just preaching in within about a 200-mile radius. That's little buddies. be kind of hard to do that out here, amen? I remember military men like Lieutenant Colonel Dave Garrett, who was my squadron commander when I was enlisted here when Carson was born. 
we lived about uh, 20 minutes north of the church, and he drove from base, came all the way out to our house, and he personally gave us a gift to celebrate Carson's birth. I remember I was trying to get my commission, and the previous squadron commander, who I won't mention, for he might be listening, didn't give me the time of day. I mean, this guy was a jerk. Colonel Garrett took over command, and I tried again for a commission. I went to him for some needed signatures. Jed, you know what I'm talking about. And he asked if he could look. Now, get this. My, my commander asked me, can I take your application home and just work on it a little bit for you? I said, yeah, sure. I just, I just wanted signatures. And so he takes that thing home. He, he works on it. And I know promotion comes from the Lord. But humanly speaking, I largely credit Dave Garrett as the man who made it possible for me to become an officer, which in turn has helped me in the ministry. You see, I'm talking about people who will just humble themselves and serve others. He had no right to do that. I was an E5 or an E6, I don't remember, and he had no right to do that. And yet he took time to help me. People who are servants. I'm talking about people when they die, we overflow the sanctuary for their funeral. I'm talking about people that we name our kids after. Are you that kind of servant? Now, how is this text important for us today? What's the application for our church? Some have the idea that the pastor makes the church operate. That's not true. Now, I believe in a pastor-led church, but it takes all of us serving together. I can't do all that takes place around here. Some think how nice it would be to be the one standing in the pulpit getting the recognition, but I'll assure you, you don't want a pastor unless you've got some servants in the church. And I thank God for every one of our servants, those who serve behind the scenes with no expectation of recognition or reward, but faithfully will serve week in and week out. I wonder if you have any idea what it takes to run this church every week. Any idea what it takes to fulfill our ministries for one year? Some servants you don't know. Some you do know, and some you ought to know. You ought to know our deacons because they're here to help me serve you. And in reality, in most cases, you can really go grab a deacon, and if they feel like it needs to be escalated, they can come to me. You need to know Brother Lund, Furs, Mac, Dustman, Brock, Petraco, McCarty. You need to know these servants. But allow me to elaborate further just for a moment so that some of you can better know what it takes to operate this church and maybe it'll cause you to be stirred to get involved. Because if you're not serving, then all you're doing is enjoying the labors of other people's efforts. And I need you to understand a church does not operate itself. But it takes many people who are willing to wash feet let me give you an easier one to start with so you feel pretty good about yourself. Do you know who leads our music? Who leads our choir? Do you know who writes the music schedule? Do you know who plays uh, in the orchestra? Do you know who sings specials? Do you know who sings in the choir? Do you know who leads our singspirations? 
Do you know who cleans the church? Do you know who scrubs the toilets and vacuums the floors and dusts and cleans the windows and takes out the garbage? Do you know who the principal of our academy is? Do you know the teachers in our academy? Do you know those who volunteer at the academy? Do you know who our financial workers are? Do you know who directs our press ministry? Do you know who operates our press? Do you know those who volunteer to work at the press on Monday nights, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday nights? Do you know our Sunday school superintendent? Do you know the two ladies who keep the Sunday school nursery every week? Do you know who teaches the three and four-year-olds? Do you know who teaches um, the, the K through second grade? Do you know who teaches the third through fifth grade? Do you know who teaches the sixth through eighth grade? Do you know who teaches the teen girls? Do you know who teaches the teen uh, boys? Do you know who teaches the young adults? Do you know who teaches the adults? How about Wednesday night? Do you know who teaches in our peewee class? Do you know who teaches in our patch club? Do you know who teaches our teens? Do you know who leads our junior church department? Do you know who teaches the three to seven-year-olds? Do you know who teaches the eight to 12-year-olds? Do you know who helps out? Do you know who directs our bus ministry? Do you know who drives our vans and helps out on the vans? Do you know who prepares food every service for the children in between Sunday school and the morning service? Do you know who ushers in our church? Do you know who schedules the nursery workers? Do you know who works in the nursery changing those stinky diapers? Do you know who cleans the toys in the nursery? Do you know who clears snow from the parking lot? Do you know who cuts the grass? Do you know who takes out the garbage? Do you know who takes the nursery garbage out? Do you know who restocks the track rack by the door? Do you know who put the windows in the classrooms, uh, classroom doors? Do you know who painted outside this year? Do you know who carried these chairs in? Do you know who all landscaped? Do you know who all helped with the sprinkler system? Do you know who all changes light bulbs? I can keep listing and I keep listing, but many don't know who these are, and I do not say that to condemn you, not in one bit. I don't mean to even try to make you feel ashamed by that, but the reason I say that is because we have a lot of servants that are serving behind the scenes without expectation of reward, without expectation of recognition, and that's what makes a church operate. People that will get a hold of what Jesus is teaching here in John chapter 13. That's what makes our church possible. You might be surprised how many people it takes every week just to make our church and its ministries function. Did you know it takes a minimum of 105 people every week? We're not running thousands. And frankly, it probably takes a few more every week just to operate. And there's more needed that we need to get done. Most of these are behind the scenes, largely going unnoticed. Do you understand that in a four-week, a four-Sunday month, it takes 40 ladies a month to staff the nursery? Well, I, I just can't change a diaper. That's what I'm trying to preach against. Ladies, if you've been a mother, get involved in the nursery. And if you haven't, get involved in the nursery. One thing I can say, Brother First taught me, many hands make light work. I'm tired of working in the nursery. Recruit more women. Amen. I thank God for everyone who attends our church, and I mean that. But I am so grateful for those who serve week in and week out to reach one more soul. Keep washing feet. 
Keep serving in humility. As I close, look at verse 17. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Whether you are in the limelight or not, there are blessings when we serve one another. Paul said to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And let me remind you again of what Jesus said. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And I would ask you this morning, do you want to be great? Then humble yourselves and be a servant. That's where happiness lies. Jesus says you'll be blessed, you'll be happy. Do you want to be a great husband or a great wife? Then serve one another. Do you want to be a great mother or father? Then serve your family. Do you want to be a great church member? Then serve your church. We will reap what we sow. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church where over half of the membership works serving somewhere every week. I shared that with the deacons at the last meeting as I started to look at who's serving where and I started to plug in names. And then I went back and I counted all those names. I put them in alphabetical order so I could remember. And I was just so encouraged. I was so blessed to know how many people in this church have got on board, grabbed an oar, and said, let me help row this thing. What a blessing. What a blessing. But we can do even more for Christ's great namesake. I don't know if that stirred anybody to serve if you're not already. But for those who are serving, I hope it encourages you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep serving in humility. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. If we humble ourselves, the Bible says he will lift us up. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the example that Christ left us, that we need to serve one another. Help us to be humble servants. God, I pray that you'll speak to hearts. And if any need to talk to you today, that they would do that before leaving here. I ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.